You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. One of the most chaotic things about Wild Card Week in the NFL is that you're trying to find the balance between the games that are upcoming and the fan bases that are incredibly excited for their next opportunity. But at the same time, you realize every day will bring more news about teams in transition. Today, that news shocked a lot of us. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. You get a little bonus Spain and Fitz tonight, by the way. We're going to take you all the way to Blazers at Nuggets. That's 9.30 p.m. Eastern. That means free stuff. You get free Spain and Fitz tonight. Fist. I can't even say my own wow. name. I'm so excited no, I'm not guaranteeing it. any of that free. That is, that is probably a... <laughs> We're Good presented start. by Progressive Solid start. It's not even Friday. Uh, you know, I feel I, I was I was doing really well with the opening statement. I felt like I was. You did. You nailed right it. I was it. really into it. Ready for yeah. the show. And then all of a sudden, and then you boom. forgot your uh, name. You know what? Yesterday uh, you were Jason Futz, and yeah, now you're Jason. I'm, Fist. I'm Jason Fist, and uh, pretty soon it'll be Carson Wentz. And forgotten about. We'll we'll get to Carson <laughs> in a second. But the big news that shocked many people today was Texans uh, head coach David Culley being let go after only one season. A season that many would ask what was expected because, frankly, they knew going into this year that there would be no resolution uh, to their quarterback situation that would be simple uh, and that the team would be at best in rebuilding mode. So now after 4-13, and David Culley is out, Sarah, as the Texans coach. Yeah, it wasn't that it was a good season. Uh, there were certainly statistical reasons to point to uh, that you could hide behind in saying, you know, they were outscored by the most points in franchise history. Again, though, that there's an extra game to get outscored in this season that didn't exist before. Their offense ranked 34, uh, 31st in DVOA. Um, he, he struggled regardless who was at quarterback, but to be fair, Terod Taylor got hurt in week two and a third round pick in Davis Mills is what he has to pin his hopes on. In the end, this team won as many games as they did last season with Deshaun Watson as their starter. Sean Watson didn't play a snap. In fact, David Culley was left to have to answer to everything that happened before his arrival and whether or not, which a lot of people are saying, Culley sort of knew he was a sacrificial lamb. There is something insulting about just that one year in a no-win situation where you performed better than many expected. You beat the Titans. You beat the Chargers. You had a team fighting for you during the last game of the season. For it to go like this when it's a black head coach, leaving us with now just one black head coach in the league, I think it hits a little different, but it also reminds us this is a terribly dysfunctional franchise, and nobody wanted the job when David Culley took it. Uh, there might be a couple more lined up when it seems like Deshaun Jackson probably going to be on his way out before next season starts, but it's still not an enviable place to work right now. Well, and, you know, such a smart point about how we got here with Houston. I also look at the eye test and passion has to matter because I feel like for Dan Campbell, didn't win a lot of games for the Lions, but we found reasons to excuse that because the guys were playing hard all the way to the end. I, I would make the argument that the Texans were doing the same things in many ways. Like, they didn't give up like we saw the Jags do towards the end of the season. They they seemed to have a fire in their belly, and you know, to all of that, we have to ask what was expected, but also what's next. If it was, in fact, just a temporary solution, why let him go now? To that point, Adam Schefter was on NFL Live and talked about Cully and the understanding of who he was and what he was supposed to be doing as a coach coming into the season. Basically, David Culley was put in there as a placeholder until they could find the head coach that they wanted. Now, there are people who believe they wouldn't make this move and they certainly wouldn't wait four days from the end of the season from then until now to make this move unless they believed they could get the coach that they wanted. So, of course, everyone's going to wonder who that is. And the men in charge are from New England. 
and the people in New England that have New England connections would be Brian Flores, would be Gerard Mayo, would be Josh McDaniels, some of the names out there. They were intrigued with Josh McCown the last time, but the fact of the matter is there were people who believed that when David Culley was hired, it was only a matter of time until he was fired. And today they fired David Culley, and so here we go again in Houston with the latest changes to an organization that has been unstable in recent seasons. Sarah, I just struggle to figure out whoever takes this job, why it's more appealing today than it was a year ago. It's, right, it's in the just... end, it could just be because they think Deshaun Watson's situation is closer to being figured out, that he's absolutely not going to stick around. It was uh, There were question marks. Maybe it was going to hover over all of this season. Now it feels like you got to still get rid of him and someone needs to take him on and you still don't have a, a real quality roster because of the mistakes made by the decision makers that came before you. Um, but it's maybe a little less frantic and, and up in the air as, as when David Culley took the job. I guess I just want to know if you know he's a placeholder. I know you got to spend enough to get someone to take the job. But according to Tom Palacero, the Texans owe David Culley another $17 million over the next three years. So he's getting $22 million Ooh. for one season as the head coach. If you know he's a placeholder, you know you're going to get rid of him. There isn't a cheaper way to make that bridge, understanding that there are a lot of assistants that are going to want that on their resume, no matter how bad the job is. Yeah, and and then you factor in what they're going to have to pay somebody to come in that they want to give the job now. I mean, their head coaching payment next year will be massive for this. It's it, it's the timing of it, the the way the team played, all of it just sort of speaks to question marks about what the Texans' plan is, and that's the hardest part for any team that's bad is figuring out what your plan. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, and speaking of the plan. I think Colts fans are looking across the board saying, what's the plan here? Because this was a Colts team that had high expectations. They're now sitting around watching the playoffs, and a lot of the blame has gone to Carson Wentz in the quarterback position. So I think it says something when Chris Ballard, Colts GM, said this today about the organization and what they're doing with Wentz. You've got to get consistency there. And the years we've gotten it, we've been pretty good. And we thought we had it until the, you know, until the end of the season. I'd like for you know, Carson to be the long-term answer or, or find somebody's going to be here for the next 10 to 12 years. Sometimes it doesn't work out that way, man. I mean, I can dream about it and wish about it and do everything I can to figure out the solution, but you do the best of what you can do at the time that you have to make a decision. That's, that's how you do it. Right. Wow, he also said um, at the time we felt it was the right decision. I'm not going to comment on who's going to be here next year and who is not. Now, you can either read that completely cynically and like he's being flat out honest and saying something you normally wouldn't hear, which is uh, at the time we thought it was a good idea. You fill in the blanks. Now we realize it wasn't. And so I'm not going to guarantee he's here. That's not a for sure what he meant. He may have just, you know, uh, wanted to keep the door open, but he certainly didn't come out and say Carson Wentz is our quarterback next year and we look forward to having him. Well, and these questions on Carson Wentz aren't going to go anywhere because the Eagles will be using a first-round pick that they got in exchange from this uh, trade. The Eagles are sitting with three first-rounders now, and one of those would have belonged to the Colts, who are not going to be part of the first round of the draft. So uh -huh. at this point, that trade looks like a steal for Philly because the Colts right. are sitting at home and have no idea if they really have a quarterback they can rely on. And in the meantime, the Eagles get extra draft equity. So whatever questions are being asked are only going to get louder and louder as we get closer to the draft in Vegas because the Colts won't be participating in day one. That, that to well, me is why they have to answer for it. I mean, agreed. And also because it is a slightly more interesting 
potential exit from the Carson Wentz experiment than maybe some other quarterbacks. Yes, it would be, I think, $15 million of dead cap. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think then it would open up $13 million to work with. So are you willing to take $15 million hit if that means you got $13 million to work with and you are not running it back with someone that you've lost faith in, right? I mean, the problem is who you getting and how. There aren't quarterbacks in the draft that anybody thinks are starting caliber in the NFL that anyone should be giving up much for, and they don't have a pick anyway. And who's out there and where do they want to play? And yeah, and, that... and do you have a lot more faith in them? And can you maybe get them at a cost where you can get rid of Carson and not completely tank everything else with how much you'll be wasting on a guy that's not on your roster anymore? The amount of throwing bad money, good money at bad, that's happening right now. Quarterback yeah. is just going to be crippling moving forward. Quarterback, ESPN, coaches, yeah, <laughs> college coaches. It. There's just a lot of money. I'd like to get my hands on some of that. Can I get in this business where you just get paid to leave? I mean, I'm all in for, for a pile. <laughs> I mean, ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance with more than 30 unique coverage options available. Progressive knows how knows small business. Learn more at ProgressiveCommercial.com. All right. We've delayed it long enough. Coming up, the painful takeaway coming off the Nets. Big win over a <sighs> team in the NBA I've never heard of. Yes. That's coming up in Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. They led by as many as 38. And Brooklyn will go to 26-14 and 14 on the season. Move within a game and a half of the top spot in the East. Chicago loses for just the 12th time in the season. Just the second time in the last... 12 games and I would take maybe out this is the biggest win of the season for the Nets this is a heck of a state on both sides of the floor yeah if you were listening last night you might have heard me saying I might try to weasel my way over to the Bulls Nets game at the United Center 9 p.m. start nice and late after the show ended my chance to finally go check out my squad Thankfully, I didn't, because that would have been a whole lot of green to drop on a really disappointing second half for my number one seeded Bulls. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Yeah, uh, it was uh, it was a beatdown. There were eight minutes left in the third quarter last night, Fitz. The score tied 71-71. Of the next 50 points scored in the game, the Nets scored 42 of them. Mm. If you want to just talk about a third quarter that absolutely takes you out of a contest where you've got the opposing squad, the Bulls in this case, that just said, all right, I guess we can shut it down now. We ain't catching up in this one. That's what happened. And this was a statement game for the Nets. This was a scary, scary situation for everybody else in the league watching a team where Kyrie started off, couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. I think he ended up hitting three buckets in the first half by the end of it, but didn't get hot until the very end. Like a couple, two minutes left in the first half, he hit his first shot, uh, first field goal. And uh, they didn't need him to be great because Harden looked good. KD was as spectacular as always. They are going to be very tough to beat. And it was a bit of a wake-up call for Bulls fans. Uh, they had beaten them twice before, but this was their first look at them with Kyrie. And just a couple games in, he already made a difference. Yeah, the, the one thing that was interesting to me was how efficiently Brooklyn shot from deep. I mean, their three-point percentage was through the roof. And, you know, I'm not sure that that's ever something that you can replicate. Uh, but the Bulls, it felt like at times 
just lacked any fire for aggressiveness. Like they they were just it, 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 as oversimplified as it feels to say this. It felt like Brooklyn was the one that was taking it to Chicago the whole time, and Chicago just didn't have an answer for it. So I was a little yeah. surprised. It felt like there were times that Lonzo seemed kind of lost and visible on the court. It, watching it, it, it wasn't as close as the score was by the end of it. I felt like I was watching an absolute bloodbath by the end. But you're right. Through the first half particularly, it felt like, okay, we got something going. Back and forth. Like, Bulls kept fine. it. Yeah, Bulls kept it, you know, two two points, five points. The the building was electric. They were so excited to be there. You could hear from the first couple buckets that the Bulls hit that everyone was ready to go off and be fired up. And unfortunately, uh, a, a, a sloppy finish, a bad ending, and the Nets remind everybody that when those guys are on, they are on. It's Spain and Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. We've got an extra half hour tonight, by the way, speaking of NBA Blazers at Nuggets. 9.30 Eastern, so extra 30 minutes of this show. Um, one of the things that started getting discussed last night, I believe because of something said during the broadcast, uh, don't hold me to that, though. I can't remember where I first heard it, but I, I remember hearing and thinking, oh, my gosh, why have we not talked about that much? And that was the idea that if the Nets wanted to, they could simply pay their way into having Kyrie Irving for home games down the postseason that thus far they have made the stance and and leadership with the nets has been very vocal about getting vaccinated and making sure that you do follow the laws and 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 what's been been um, suggested by medical professionals but that they might be able to just like they moved their stance on Kyrie playing just the away games midway through the season they might be able to decide closer to the postseason that they will simply pay a fine for an unvaccinated player to play in a marketplace that is forbid by local ordinances. And it's nothing for the billionaires in the NBA. A thousand bucks, I think, the first one. Two thousand for the second. Five thousand in perpetuity. By the end, I think someone added it up somewhere around $68,000 that they wanted Kyrie to play for the postseason. Unfortunately, Fitz, after a day of folks running with this and getting excited about, are they going to do it? Will they say, hey, listen, it's worth it for a championship? Adrian Wojnarowski a couple hours ago said an NBA memo to organizations on September 1st said teams must follow local laws and players who don't comply won't be able to play. That seems to put the kibosh on it because the NBA does not want their affiliated teams to choose their own success over the reputation and the optics of a whole league by saying, we don't care if it's illegal. We're going to eat the fines and let him play. So I think now the Nets and Kyrie have to hope that some sort of ordinances change or they're SOL when the playoffs come around. Yeah, it feels to me too like it, it would just be a bad idea to come in and say, okay, well, we'll hold our, our team to a different standard and just pay these fines. Like that, even for local relationships, that just feels like mm -hmm. that's a strain with everybody involved. But uh, does a strain really matter to a fan base if it results in an NBA championship? Now, you know, I've said often, and I said even today on the sports beat, that I'm not sure how much you can take away from Brooklyn having these opportunities together because I don't trust Kyrie to be available for the entirety of the playoffs, depending on the location. So I, I understand everybody's want to try and find a workaround, but in this situation, it's not just about finding a workaround. There's a there's a non-necessary workaround of just go out there and do what everybody else is doing that you've right. been told to do. And, and if he's going to refuse to do that, then uh, if he wants to make that decision, that has the impact to his team. So I'm actually glad to see that they can't give him some sort of opportunity to work around local law just because he's a basketball player. Like, I don't want him held to a different standard. I want of him held to the same standard that a construction worker is held to or a Starbucks employee. So I think it's good for the league and good for the Nets, even if it doesn't feel good to the fans.
it's spectacular news for any of us that are concerned about the ways that the sports world has taken advantage of being exempted from some things in the name of sports making society better and then choosing when and where to live up to that model of of excellence that model of of morality that model of good good you know uh, role model and leadership and all of that which by the way we'll get to later in the show because Howard Bryant wrote a banger of a story today on just that But I think it's good for the league, too, that that was set in place because you can't leave it up to individual teams to decide whether they want to take the hit in favor of of, of being successful um, to the the point of a franchise win, right? I mean, a championship is going to outweigh your ability to make the right decision in terms of how people view the team and the player. They've already taken a lot of hits just based on Kyrie coming back to play. Um, Speaking of play, quickly, uh, did you get a chance to see Westbrook last night? I mean, if we want to call that play, it was a it was a forgettable night for us. <laughs> I just I, I what I'm wondering. Oh, here we go. Yeah, our guy Chris Mitchell's been waiting all night to be able to rock this. Oh God, yeah. I don't. Cold as ice is an understatement. Uh, the Lakers lost to Sacramento. Uh, they've lost to the Kings twice this season. Uh, brutal. But Westbrook, two of fourteen. I'm just curious because I was listening to another show uh, earlier in in the uh, radio lineup here on ESPN 1000. I want to say it was Max Kellerman who was still riding for Westbrook that if he always second half of the season figures it out and so he's just waiting for that to hit. Can we still count on him figuring enough out that he is not a liability for a Lakers team that is still middling as we get this far into the season? Yeah, no. I mean, and that to <laughs> me is is simple. Even if he's trying to figure it out, the problem is it's not just him that has to figure it out. Everybody else around him has to figure it out, too. You can't lose to Sacramento like that. And at some point, he wasn't brought in to try and figure these out, these things out over time. He was brought in to be one of the guys they could rely on on a veteran team with a lot of guys that told us all they'd be able to gel and mesh together quickly. They, that's what he was brought in to be a part of, not a, not a part of, like, I'm going to figure myself out. Like, this isn't basketball therapy time. This is win game time for the, for the Lakers. And at some point, we've got to stop making apologies. Yeah, and it's affecting not just the team in obvious ways, which is you got a guy who's 2 of 14 uh, and is missing shots that you could otherwise have someone else taking and making, but also the amount that defenders are able to sag off of him because they say go ahead and shoot it, which clogs up the lane, which prevents other players like Anthony Davis and LeBron James from taking advantage. So he's hamstringing you in really clear and obvious ways, and of course the hope would be that he'll improve in the second half, but ooh boy. It was especially ugly last night. You could be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on Dr. Pepper Twitter feed at Sarah Spain at Jason Fitz at Spain and Fitz. ESPN Nations presented by Dr. Pepper. The college football season is over. Fans are celebrating their victory. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Coming up, smack talking Jordan Cornette versus Jason Fitz. Coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I know one set of nipples I'm not scared of. Jordan Cornette, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz were presented by Progressive Insurance. We're going to head straight over to the Goodyear hotline because on Saturday, my beloved Raiders are going to kick the snot out of the Cincinnati Bengals. So I figure we might as well bring in Jordan Cornette so that I can find out. Do you like how your tears taste? Are you going to glass them up and bottle them and and drink them for a week, for a day? How long is it going to go, Jordan? How many days are you going to cry after your team season is over? You know what I you know what I love about this, and I'll I'll address Queen Sarah here as I talk. Uh, my voice is already shot because I had a FaceTime with my buddies, 
getting juiced up for this weekend, which, by the way, I am going to Cincinnati. I am going to watch the game mm-hmm. because I know what's going to happen in Cincinnati. Then my Bengals are going to win the game. So uh, your sidekick there, Sarah, can talk all the noise he wants, but is he putting his money where his mouth is? Is he getting on a plane? Is he flying to see his team that hasn't been in the playoffs in so long? Probably mm-hmm. because there's an identity crisis with the team. Is it Los Angeles' team? Is it Oakland's team? Do they belong to Las Vegas? So there's probably not a strong affinity for it. That's why he's not making the effort to go, because he knows they're going to get their tails kicked in. And I get it. It's the fiscal sound move. It's, I respect it. I'm saving my money till Oof. the second round. That's what I'm doing. Let's just, I don't want, I, listen, I don't want to take sides here, even though my gut is telling me to take uh-huh. Jordan's side. I don't want to no. betray any trust of my co-host, but I will say that it's possible that during the commercial breaks, after all of the excuses provided, Fitz broke down and basically said he doesn't want to see his team get beat when he's surrounded <laughs> by fans of another team and he's cold and drunk. I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm saying that could be Futz. what it could have happened. Totally different guy. That's <laughs> totally different guy. You know what it is, though. It might be it might be Fitz trying to you know play it like undersell, over deliver. Let's act right. like we're gonna lose. Like Ben Roethlisberger. Really gonna win. Like Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. We yeah. don't have a chance. Yeah. We're gonna have some fun out there. <laughs> I, you know what I love that that's the mindset for a team playing the Bengals, who have never won a Super Bowl, who haven't had a playoff win in 31 years, who have something known as the Bo Jackson curse, and yet here we are. Big and mighty, and it's the lowly Raiders coming in. I don't like that narrative. <laughs> like, both these teams are hungry for it. I think it's going to be a great game, but ultimately we have the two best players on the field. Wow, you have the two best players on the field. So you're just totally discounting. Darren Waller, 100%? Crosby. Is Darren Waller 100%? Well, Darren Waller, 80%, is still going to be one of the two best players on the field. I mean, I'm sorry. Last time I checked, you have a very good quarterback and a very good wide receiver, but two best players on the field? Uh, mm, I don't know about that. So you're telling me if, if we had a power ranking of picks right now, 80% Darren Waller is is more appetizing to a fan and a talent evaluator than Jamar, Chase, and Joe Burrow? Mm. What are we doing here? Well, I mean, what we're doing is over-hyping quarterbacks the way we always do that have a limited amount of success. Joe Burrow is somebody – you know I love Joe, and I think eventually he's going to be great, but let's not turn Joe Burrow into Joe Montana quite yet. No, let's not do that. But let's also not forget the history of the Cincinnati Bengals. And the last time we had promise was with an MVP-caliber quarterback in Carson Palmer before Kimo Van Olsen did the unthinkable and ruined our playoff run in 2005. And ever since then – there's been a bevy of quarterbacks that have not been able to do it like the guy we have now in Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow's not a Cincinnatian, not a native Ohioan, not the guy that Mike Brown and that front office bet on. And then to go get Jamar Chase, we're not here. These two are franchise-altering talents that don't know what they don't know. And what I love about it most, you guys, is they know that people think that they're new money. They know that people think that they should keep their head down and you know wor- worry about one game at a time. But that's not who this group is. And it reminds me of the flash of Chad Johnson, Ocho Cinco, TJ Hushmanzada, and those guys who brought that energy and belief to Cincinnati. It's been restored this year. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to Jordan Cornette, ESPN Radio, ACC Network, massive Bengals fan. His Bengals taking on Fitz's Raiders on Saturday, just two days away from now. Jordan, you and I hosted a lot of shows together during uh, I guess round one of the pandemic. I don't know what we're calling <laughs> yeah, the middle right. of 2020. 
But, you know, when you guys got Joe Burrow, when Joe Burrow got hurt after starting strong, like, I've been there for a lot of these milestones for you, and I've seen you go sure. from worried it was going to get messed up, worried he was going to get hurt but excited about his potential, to now the payoff, which is a, a, above average and above what was expected season in this spot in the postseason. Um can you uh, can you ignore the Bengals history? Can you ignore the concerns about leadership there from the very top and whether they really care a lot about winning? Can you put that behind you and enter the weekend and, and, and actually have the confidence that you're talking to Jason with? Or is there a part of you that's like, you know, deeply concerned? Because I know like a lot of Georgia fans heading into the national championship couldn't shake that they might be the next round of disappointment in, in you know, the long-suffering Atlanta fan base. Are you feeling that way? Or or does it feel wiped clean with, with you know, Burrow out there? Well, I, I got to say, for one, we have more faith in our quarterback going into this game than Georgia did with theirs. It's yeah. funny how now everybody, you know, uh, puts puts Stetson Bennett up on this on this platform and adores him, but Stetson, don't forget, those were the same people who doubted you. We don't have that doubt in Cincinnati because, sincerely, Joe Burrow is that kind of talent. And and I would have, and I do have, if I'm being honest, some of that concern, some of that worry, because we've seen the letdown. This Bo Jackson curse, for those who don't know about it, 1991 was the last time the Bengals got a playoff win in the wild card game against the Oilers. Very next game, Kevin Walker, linebacker for Cincinnati, down the sideline, makes a play at Bo Jackson and tackle, ruins Bo Jackson's leg, and he breaks it, he never plays again. And ever since then, the Bengals have had curses. Cincinnati sports have had them with guys like Kenyon Martin in the 2000 NCAA tournament. Overall number one seed, he breaks his leg the day before the tournament. 1994, Reds are leading the NL Central. Barry Larkin is having an MVP season. There's a strike. So we know pain. We've never won a Super Bowl. We know all this. But I didn't think Joe Burrow would be here this year, Sarah. I didn't think he'd be here this year, Fitzy. Right. I thought they'd sit him the whole season. I thought they'd rest him for the year because it was that gruesome of an injury and play for next season. But here he is leading this team. He's been one of the top performers offensively in the league. And I believe more than I doubt. I'm all in. Not only do I think we win, I'm not trying to be arrogant. I think we win this one by double figures. <laughs> What's interesting Ooh. to me. And, and, you know, I actually I, I agree with everything you just said. And I was wrong going into the draft. I thought that the Bengals should have taken Panay Sewell and fixed their offensive line and not Jamar Chase. Uh, I did, too. I was wrong about that. Uh, you know, I they, did, too. But that offensive line has gotten him murdered throughout the course of this year. But he's been able to make great plays despite it. This is a Raiders defense that absolutely gets after the quarterback. Are you not concerned that that is strength on weakness? It's my number one concern. But I also know you have a shaky secondary that might our level of talent on the perimeter might be able to overcome that. You did give some love to Joe Burrow and how he's handled the pressure. But if you really dive into the numbers, he takes a dip in productivity when he has pressure applied to him. We know what those edge guys bring with the Raiders. That is a concern. It's my paramount concern. Right beneath that is the ability from your quarterback and what Derek Carr can do to this group. He's a guy, look, the offense is, is nothing necessarily to write home about. But the guy's thrown for nearly 290 yards a game, and he's one of the top guys in the league in terms of yardage. And our secondary's had issues at times. I do believe the answer, go back and answer your question fully, I think the, the talent level on the perimeter, Fitzy, is enough to overcome the difference between talent with our perimeter, your shaky secondary overcomes any issue with the pass rush, because I think you guys struggle that much uh, down the field. 
Okay, right, last so, question I've got for both of you. And Jordan Cornette is with us. You can hear him on uh, ESPN Radio, also the ACC Network, uh, talking to Fitz about their big matchup on Saturday. Can you guys agree on which of these teams is playing with house money more? Which of these teams should just be happy to be there? Is is there a consensus on... Can, can on I that? take that first? Can I take that first, yeah. you guys, and just say, I think, I, I hate to say this because I want to win and I don't want to think like this, but we're playing with house money because we're ahead of schedule. We've got a young nucleus. We've got a young coach. We're learning on the fly. We weren't supposed to be here. Uh, the Raiders are kind of playing with house money because of the attrition they faced off the field and what a job Versace has done to get them here. But I'm thinking long-term with this group. If we lose on Saturday, it'll be devastating. It'll be heartbreaking because the opportunity to reverse the curse. But we feel confident we'll be kings of the North moving forward, and this is the first time dipping our toes in playoff water. I, I actually think you're totally right, Jordan, in everything you just said. And the Raiders are still looking at everything from the, the window of a team, especially a quarterback that's a little older. So there's more consequence in a loss for the Raiders. Uh, just remember, in 2016, I was sitting back with my feet up when the Raiders were uh, MVP caliber Derek Carr and went into the playoffs and lost. I was sitting there saying, man, going to win every division every year for the next five years. That team was good <laughs> for the long term. And we saw how that played out, my friend. So be careful. I'm just saying. At the uh, end you of the guys day, are not us, man. You, you yeah. don't wow. have Joe Burrow. You don't have Jamar wow. Chase. You're wow. not Cincinnati. And that's why you're not welcome in the city. So you save your money. Woo! Don't fly in. We don't want you in the Queen City. There's well, no skyline. There's no graders for you. We don't want you around because winners hang out in the 513, baby. And quite right. frankly, Bitsy, I love you. Me, one of them. Winners like, I can go hang out with the Backstreet Boys in Vegas. I can hang out with Nick Lachey in 98 degrees in Cincinnati. Wow. Okay. These are the names we're dropping. The These are the I'm names we're dropping. I mean, he did win that one because Backstreet is clearly greater than 98 degrees. Yeah, but I, 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 don't know if, I don't know how deep we can go on that. Let me let me tell you, in Cincinnati, Nick Lachey is, is a guy, but you didn't even mention Vanessa and his wife, too. I mean, it's a power couple. Show some respect for mm. one of Cincinnati's first families. I'll show respect. Get it right if you're going to name John. End your season. All right, Jordan, appreciate wow. you. Have a great weekend. <laughs> Enjoy your tears. Thanks for hanging out with us. Jordan hey, Cornette. I can't even really act like I talk trash. I love you guys too much. And I do want to say this quickly. Sarah is such a great, loyal friend. And I must ensure this, too. I said this. You're a nurturer for sports fans. You root for your teams, and when they don't make it, you have an understanding of what others go through as fans, as long-suffering fans. So for you to give me that love, I know you're in my corner more than Fitz is on this one. 100%. It's greatly appreciated. I speak for Cincinnati. You are always welcome in the five. Oh, thank get you. Your, just get your nipples out of here. That, we've had enough of this. Thing. Just get your nipples on out. Jordan, have a great, uh, have a great Thanks, Friday. Jordan. Have a great Sunday. Have a terrible Saturday. Thanks for hanging out with us. Jordan Connect from Cornette, ESPN Radio, ACC Network. Uh, listen to the Man in the Arena podcast. Don't forget, it's a 10-part series exploring how sports impacts our everyday lives through the lens of Tom Brady's career. It's available wherever you get your podcast. And brought to you by Rocket Mortgage. Need to finance a home like a pro? Rocket can. All right, one story you need to hear about COVID. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I've often wondered, what do I need to do to stay warm in Connecticut? And in fact, this weekend, worrying about whether or not to go to Cincinnati, one thing I've thought about is I might freeze my grape nuts off. And as I think of all of this, I didn't realize that instead of going to the World Wide Web, if I needed help with it, all I'd have to do is Ask Bart Scott for advice to how to stay warm. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Remember, we're going long tonight. you got 30 minutes of extra Spain and Fitz bonus time because we're taking you into the Blazers at Nuggets, 9.30 p.m. Eastern. We're going to stay up until 9.30. That's it's not going to stop. Said. 
that this is going to keep happening. Uh, this Bart Scott was asked this morning to give a little advice to Josh Allen, Bill's quarterback, on how to keep himself warm during the game, and he said this. You know, I spoke to Josh Allen over the phone about how he's going to handle the cold weathers, because here's the issue with Josh Allen. Over the last 15 years, he's the second worst completion percentage in the NFL in freezing temps. The guy hates the cold. He doesn't play well. And he says the reason is because he's got bad circulation. So his toes get cold. And as you know, with your can I, feet. Can I, can I get your suggestion for him? You want Josh Allen listening? Can people get this message to him? Viagra. Take some Viagra for the game, baby. That'll fit that circulation going right. I, I don't so, know how to move uh, off of that. I don't have any medical background, so I can't. I don't really have a, a response to that. But you, you play, so the, you must know of, something. A lot of us take Viagra, right? Because Viagra opens up the blood Wait, vessels. Sir, sir, a lot of us take Viagra. What do you mean? A, a lot, lot of a lot of NFL <laughs> players, at least in my day, took Viagra because it opens up the blood vessels. A lot of endurance athletes because Viagra was first uh, a heart medicine, right? So it builds up circulation, which makes sure that it gets the circulation to the feet. Okay. Okay, is what Diana said. Okay, uh, that he really dropped that like a dead fish. It had uh, vague memories of Dominique Foxworth's Sports Center appearance, uh, his last, uh, because he is banned from the show. And if you don't know why, just Google Dominique Foxworth and Sports Center. Um, uh, there was talk of some things, and at the end he said, I don't care, I don't need this job, and then proceeded to go forth in a way that resulted in his banning from the show. Uh, everyone on that show, much smarter, they just went with, okay. Uh, Fitz, I was Googling this. Um, I do not know much Better about Viagra. Better history than mine. Go ahead. I yes. know, right? I don't have a work computer, thankfully. First, I really liked that they were talking about this on GetUp. Mm, also, I Googled this because I was curious about side effects. Um, there are the obvious side effects that are, of course, the kind of things they warn you about. Headache, dizziness, upset stomach, runny nose. But I wondered if the usual purpose of taking Viagra could present itself at an un inopportune time during a game and I wanted to know does it automatically make you get up for a big game or do you have to have a reason to get up for the big game for it to make you get up for the game and so I googled and it actually turns out that it it does help you get up for the big game but only if you are excited about the game. Does okay, that make sense? Now, see, that, that was very well said for you. Thank my, you. My fear is that, like, you know, they're, they're, like I'm always going to go back to seventh grade math class. You're like, you don't always know when that moment's right. going to happen. Mm -hmm. and, like, I always so felt bad for boys when I was younger that when we found that out in sex ed, that you could just be, like, going up to write something on the board and, like, Merp. I was like, that sounds like the worst thing ever. At least all of our stuff is, like, hidden. I mean, yeah, I, I, if teachers want to be humane, they'd never make a kid stand up and go to the board. Find some way to, to let it happen. What if you're seat. really aroused by Abraham Lincoln? Just like, I mean, this ain't the topic, teach. Like, sorry, guys, the top hat thing. I've got a, it. It's a weird thing for me. Uh, I, I'm just imagining going to the game with Jordan, sitting next to him, and then being like, sorry, man, I was just trying to keep warm. Like, it just feels like that could be really uncomfortable for <laughs> well, that's everybody. What I was, and, that's what I was picturing. Um, I did enjoy it for a little bit. I was just picturing everybody running around like, it's not even cold. Uh, <laughs> as it turns out, it doesn't do that, at least isn't supposed to do that unless you have a reason, which, again, uh, you never know what people are into. 
Uh, and we also know that there's probably a high likelihood that there isn't only one gay player in the NFL. So like maybe, you know, I don't know. I don't want to get into it. I'm just saying that would be very uncomfortable and it would be unwise for anyone who uh, hasn't used it before to just start in the hopes of getting more blood flow to their feet. And that's what Dawson Knox of the Bills said, basically. This is not the game for me to just try it. I've heard that Viagra can actually make you test positive for PEDs. I think uh, there's something I think there's something in there that'll pop you positive and make you miss four games. So in order to do that, I would need a prescription. Um, so I do not have a prescription. So therefore I will not <laughs> be trying that out. Um, but that would be a heck of a way to try something for the first time. <laughs> pop one of those before a football game. Um, yeah, there might be some other issues that go into that but uh yeah yeah i'm not gonna be experimenting with that i'm gonna need him to stop saying pop yeah and yeah. pop in anything really i mean it's just it, it, bart is a delight by the way a delight that just keeps giving and giving on this and it <laughs> it's funny because i uh i i googled it and apparently chad johnson in the past had, had mentioned that he used to take viagra to get up for games and uh, you know, it's an interesting thing. Like somebody had to figure that out and then somebody had to share it with everybody. And then a whole room of people had decided it was a good idea. And then they all had to start trying it. Like the yeah. level of questions I have through this whole process, like <laughs> and, and at some point, like, are you going to your team doctor? Now every player that goes to their doctor is going to be like, hey, doc, thinking about Viagra just for the playing purposes, obviously, <laughs> just for the performance on the field. Everything else is just fine. Well, I was going to say, Spain Fitz, by the way, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we want to make sure you all know who the spectacular hosts are who are devoting their time to this. Um, I was going to say that Bart Scott has done a favor to all the guys out there that just wouldn't know how to explain it if someone found the Viagra pills in their, in their you know, bathroom counter. You just say, I, you know, it's cold here in Chicago in the winter. I work outside a lot shoveling snow, and, and somebody told me the best way to get the blood flow to my feet always so cold when i'm shoveling snow is by so this other that's it that's the only thing i mean it, it's remarkable too because you can just be like look i'm really training i'm in an adult kickball league and we're very intense so whatever it takes <laughs> yeah. to have the performance edge that's apparently i like how you went adult kickball for your yeah. training that's, yeah, that's like course. the peak like, that you could imagine for yourself yeah. a thousand percent coming up lots of news <laughs> out of the afc south we'll break it down next spain and fitz on espn radio you're listening to the spain and fitz podcast Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And it has been a wild day in the NFL. Not even just getting into the games coming, but into some of the news that's been happening around the league that has everything to do with teams that are already out of it. And so we'll get some straight talk on that. For some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. We head over to the Goodyear Hotline where we're joined by Kevin Clark, the Ringer senior NFL writer. Kevin, man, appreciate it. We were pretty shocked to see uh, David Coley be let go by the Texans after only one season as the head coach. What was your reaction? I was not surprised um, going into this offseason. I was surprised they waited a couple of days. If you listen to the reports, it sounded like it was always the plan. That's embarrassing. The NFL mm-hmm. team shouldn't hire a guy <laughs> to fire him. That's not how this works. You should have just kept Bill O'Brien and stripped him of personnel powers if you wanted to do that. I mean, this is ridiculous. He's not um, becoming an NFL team. Um, I don't. I, it sounds like they're going to be able to go out and get Gerard Mayo uh, or another Patriots assistant coach, but they shouldn't have done this. It makes them look like amateur hour. Um, and by the way, it makes them look like it because it is amateur hour. 
Um, it, it is a, a terrible look for an NFL, NFL franchise. At least I'm hoping David Coley got as much money out of this project as possible. But he had a one-year kind of stint. It was always going to be doomed. And, uh, you know, he had his, his head coaching dream ripped away from him. When, by the way, he won four games, same as last year. Uh, I, I don't know what you could have done with Davisville. Yeah, I think the people who are shrugging a little too much about the, well, he was just meant to be that, you know, right. sacrificial lamb. It's it's not how it should work. Those are coveted jobs, and you should always be trying to get better, even in the moments when things are tough. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Clark is with us from The Ringer. Uh, what did you make of what Chris Ballard said today in talking about Carson Wentz? Among the things he said, uh, you know, at the time we felt it was the right decision. Uh, he talked about how it'd be nice to have a, co- a quarterback that's there for the long term, but that doesn't always work yeah. out. How did you read all that? So a couple things. Number one is that I think that there's a generation of younger and not just age, but coming into positions of power in the last five years, uh, coaches and executives who are trusting process over results. What I mean by that is you look at Brandon Saylor the other day with timeout with some of his coordinating. Um, he gave an interview the last couple of days and said, listen, I did as well as I've ever done. It was just a bad outcome. I, I'm going to trust process over results. And what we're looking at with Chris Ballard is he went out and took a calculated risk on a quarterback and he's being honest about that. And he's saying they probably, you know, I, he's assessing it. He's not going to lie to the media and say Carson Wentz is some great quarterback this year. But in the grand scheme of things, if that worked out, if that made the playoffs, then yes, he was worth a first-round pick. So I like the honesty. I mean, one of the things I think I mean, you guys know this in sports and especially football, even though these guys say they're tough guys, there's so much passive-aggressive BS mm. that um, you know no one's ever. They always lie to the media. They lie to the players. You know, they, they lied to their, their staff. And to have someone like Ballard come out and give that kind of an honest press conference where he said a lot of pointed things about his team and how they performed against Jacksonville, I think that plays well with the whole building and the whole locker room. Honesty works. So at this point, is it fair to put all of this on Carson Wentz or does at some point there need to be a discussion about Ballard and also Frank Reich? So, I mean, it was everybody. You can't lose to Jacksonville in Week 18 and it not be everybody catastrophic failure on every single level. That was awful. So yeah, it does, it does fall, fall on Ballard and Reich in the sense that you have superstars and they're not playing like superstars. Um, you can't draft a bunch of all pros um, like Chris Ballard has, and then have a team that goes into week 18 and loses like that. And a team that by the way, needed a week 18 victory to even make the playoffs. So I'm, I, I still love Ballard. I think he's the top three GM in this league. I still really like Frank Reich, but it's on Reich that they came out with no juice coming into week 18. So it's on everybody. By the way, you traded for Carson Wentz. You understood what he was. You have to build a team that can overcome those sort of obstacles, and they just didn't do it this year, guys. So I have a couple of follow-ups on some other stuff. So I wanted to ask you quickly, though, do you think that they'll just decide to eat that $15 million in cap dead space and get the $13 million off of letting him go and move on? It depends. It depends what's out there. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back, but I also think that they, they might try to bring some competition. I mean, I think the, the problem is even when he had the foot injury and he was unvaccinated, so he missed some time. I mean, they didn't have a backup plan, a literal backup plan, a backup right. quarterback. And right. so I think you go out there and, and honestly, you know, I don't want to get political here, but when it's an unvaccinated quarterback, you got to have a contingency plan, you know, all mm-hmm. year. And I was surprised even in August when Carson Wentz is getting those questions, um, you know, that, that, that there's no, uh, contingency plan if, if he does positive. And so that didn't end up um, uh, harming them th- during the season. But I don't understand why you wouldn't have gone out and gotten a Case Keenum type um, like Cleveland did in a different situation. And they were able to bring him in when Baker had his, uh, his, his rotator cuff problem. So I'm surprised at the lack of depth that Ballard built. Um, and I think that changes next year. But I wouldn't be surprised if Wentz is back, at least penciled in in August as a starter. The Ringers. Kept... Go, Go ahead, ahead, sir. 
Nope. Go. Ahead. Go. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking to Kevin Clark, the Ringer senior NFL writer. See, that's how good we get along, Kevin. Yeah. We just, that's you know, right. we, you we take we, it, dear. Love chivalry it. And, and, and all of these things. Uh, so we're, we're talking about a lot of teams that are doing things the wrong way in the process of a rebuild. Uh, what does it take in your mind for a team to do it the right way? Like, what is what is the living, breathing yeah. example of how a bad team can turn it around? It's funny because it's the moving target, right? Because a year ago, I would have said the Miami Dolphins, and then they abandoned huh. it. Brian right. Flores showed what he was in year one. They got better as the season went along. Year two, they made improvements. But then Stephen Ross abandoned it. Part of that is that Chris Greer picked the wrong players. Part of that, obviously, is that the personalities weren't meshing. Um, you know, it's really hard. You have to give a lot of runway. But what I will say is that you got to show something by the end of year two. And that's why I was interested when they were saying they were going to keep Joe Judge in New York. I was saying, you know, he hasn't, sh- they got worse as the season went along in year two. That shouldn't be happening. I know you lost your quarterback, but they weren't even playing hard. And so I think a true rebuild takes until the end of year two. And then by year three, you're ready to rock. Buffalo is the absolute gold standard. You know, it was interesting. I was in Buffalo a couple months ago and I was talking to Brandon being their GM about this. And he was saying that they actually probably, for the plan, they may have drafted Josh Allen kind of a year early. I mean, obviously he was, he was available the year he was available, but they didn't have a line for him. They didn't have the skill guys for him. And he said, we're lucky we, that Josh survived that year where he had nothing around him. And so I think what you do is you draft a quarterback, you surround him with either uh, a good line uh, through free agency trades, whatever it is, and then you move forward, add the skill guys the next year, add the defense next year. There are pieces you can do in place. Buffalo is the gold standard right now, but it's not one size fits all. There are not a lot of total teardowns in the NFL anymore, but I do think it should only take about two years for you to get on the same page. I hope the Bears can follow that example. Draft the quarterback, and maybe he's a little ahead of schedule, but you figure it out. Uh, at Spain and Fitz, we're yep. talking to Kevin Clark of the Ringer, senior NFL writer. Um, you know, I like this this path of talking about the teams that are losing, but I want to quickly touch on the ones that have big games this weekend. Yesterday, Fitz and I were trying to figure out who we actually trust, and it's kind of like earlier in the season when we were talking yep. about who our real contenders are. Right now, yep. at least this weekend alone, so not counting any one seeds, I trust basically two squads. It's the Bucks, and uh, who's the other one I trust, Fitz? Uh, it's, uh, uh, we'll have to remember. Uh, but Fitz also trusts the Cowboys. G- do you Ooh. trust the Cowboys? I trust I, I trust the Cowboys in a vacuum, but I also kind of trust Kyle Shanahan. That's the problem. I mean, like, right. that, that's the problem to me. This is a toss-up game to me. And if you're – listen, if you're my age, and listen, I hope you're not because I'm getting old, um, but, uh, you know, the, the Cowboys and the Niners – that's the classic matchup, and that's like the NFC matchup. That's Madden and Summerall to me, and I'm really excited about this game, but I also think it's a toss-up. It's a toss-up because I think you know, people have said this. We, we have you know, had some players on our podcast the last couple of weeks, and every single player has said, you don't want to go against too much San Francisco in January because they're tough to tackle, they're physical, and, and you'd rather um, – and you're, you don't game plan against a lot of teams like San Francisco. And so that is – that's a, that's a problem this time of year. Now, Dan Quinn can do it. They have the talent to do it. They have, they have blue-chip players all over that defense. But I think that, that I don't – I trust Dallas and to the, the fact that I, I almost wanted to pick them to make the Super Bowl. Um, but I, oh. I wouldn't be surprised at all if SF uh, won this game. I mean, this is, this is just a really bad matchup for, for both teams, frankly. Yeah. Well, that was what that was what we were saying is like, you know, we wouldn't be shocked if the Cowboys won, but we also wouldn't be shocked if the Niners won. For me, it's the Bucks and the Chiefs was the other team I was looking for where I'm yeah. like, I don't right. see it happening. I will be shocked, you know. 
Yeah, we, we somehow the yeah. Raiders didn't make it into that conference. No, they didn't. Sure didn't. I can't <laughs> Follow him on hey, Twitter. Max Crosby. Max Crosby, baby. See, that's what I'm saying. Follow him at by Kevin Clark. I'll take any hope I can get. Kevin, appreciate you, my friend. Thanks for giving us the insight. Anytime, guys. That was some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. We'll get you straight talk next on a story you have to hear about all of sports and COVID. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It has been admittedly tough trying to follow the decision-making around Novak Djokovic's attempt to play in the Australian Open. Uh, At one point, it felt certain that they were going to prevent him from entering the country uh, or staying in the country, I should say, and play. Then it felt like there was going to be a battle between the tennis association and the sports minister and the government there. And now we're left with them having a draw for the Australian Open in which he is set to play a fellow Serbian player when it begins Sunday night hour time, uh, while still potentially having the possibility of being removed from the country and, in fact, banned from traveling there for another three years if that were true based on some of the possible and potential punishments for his inconsistent visa application, his not being vaccinated, his behaviors of late, which include going to places, traveling, despite knowingly having COVID. Um, He appeared at several events in December, despite testing positive, uh, sort of... uh, flaunting in the face of an Australian country full of people who have been extremely limited in their ability to do things during COVID. So that's where we are right now. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, by the way, presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, The Djokovic story is sort of the backdrop fits for something that Howard Bryant wrote for ESPN. And I just wanted to read a little bit of it because I think he said it so well. Um, This is a part of the story. While the past 10 years will be remembered for the turn of the political athlete, the COVID-19 era has produced a less heroic professional citizen athlete. Athletes lauded for using their voices to benefit the conditions of others have been replaced by the pandemic era player beholden completely unto himself, unburdened by community or responsibility to others, using vaunted platforms to disseminate pseudoscience, to elevate and separate themselves. These super athlete voices now send a different message, that they owe nothing because they create so much. Revenue and legacy for the suits, pleasure for the watchers, security for their families. They are the value. They are why we watch. In turn, they carry themselves as though they're exempt from our common struggle. While Australians and citizens around the world sacrifice to resume their lifestyles by suffering through the difficult steps of vaccine mandates, ostensibly for the long-term greater good, several high-profile athletes have decided the only name that matters is the one on the back of their jerseys. And he goes on to talk about folks like Kyrie and Aaron Rodgers and Djokovic. And I want to address that part quickly first. I do think we have... it's a, it's really foolhardy to see athletes as, as role models and to presume that they're always going to behave correctly. But I also think there's a big distinction between just not being a great role model and then being someone who is actively contributing to the spread of, of disinformation or to people being potentially put it in harm's way. Yeah, I think that's the biggest part of of that that is such a difference. Like, I'm all in on everybody doesn't have to be a role model. There's a difference between I'm going to not be a role model or I'm going to use my platform to sort of empower what I think when what I think may not be informed and what I think has tremendous consequence to a lot of people. And that's where they have to err on the side of caution. I've always said you need to be cautious when you're taking your uh, political advice or your world advice from random celebrities that may or may not have any expertise. But you need to be even more cautious now when everybody that speaks seems to have the same 
gravitas as an expert. And right. the one thing that, that hits me all the time is that, you know, my experience in the music business, the number of times I hear people speaking out about things that I'm just, uh, I know are factually incorrect about the music business. And it just rides because nobody questions it. Well, there's, there's a difference between doing that when it's about, you know, record deals and publishing contracts versus when it's about vaccines and, and uh, a pandemic. So I think it's just become dangerously easy for everybody to provide whatever information they have without any context. And the lack of context is substantial and significant. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Howard Bryant then takes it from the individual to the collective. And this part was fascinating to me because I think we have sold ourselves on the narrative of sports being for the greater good, of being something that heals a society. And at many turns, it has brought people together, united us. It has this way of being the ultimate reality show. And in times of, of crisis, whether those are even world wars, we've managed to put together sports to keep us going. But what he points out is that the exemptions and the special privileges provided to sports in order to keep going during times when so many other businesses and folks are expected to lose money, lose their jobs, etc., hasn't been handled in the way that they should have. Here's what he writes. What did sports do with that special exemption? It did everything it could to not set the example, to not be essential, but to stay in business on its terms. The industry refused to act on its responsibility in fighting a global health crisis. Sports adopted the divisive political rhetoric of vaccine efficacy over health, of the personal over the collective, guided by the specter of the existential moment, any possibility of a second mass shutdown. The NBA players, led by LeBron James, refused a second bubble. Players associations across each sport rejected the suggestion of vaccine mandates. That was a non-starter. Desperate to win, Kyrie Irving is back on the court. Tampa Bay Bucks coach Bruce Arians put Antonio Brown back on the roster after the receiver's three-game suspension for using a fake vaccine card. Colleges exempted athletes from rules that applied to student bodies. Instead of leading, several highly prominent players, as well as their counterparts in the celebrity class, immediately questioned the value of vaccines. And he talks about how sports pulled a bait and switch, deciding collective health was now an individual choice and their ability to benefit from exemptions and special treatment was the collective choice, right? So the failure of that leadership has then caused the everyday person to shoulder the costs. While when it's beneficial to athletes, they'll say, we're just like you, right? Well, you know, we're not immune to depression or racism, other things. But in the case of something like this, where their privilege, their money, their everything can make them a different class set to different rules, they will take advantage of it. And you can't play both sides there. The hard part, though, is that, to, to your point, the hard part is that we've become such a, a loud society of individuals. Like, it, that is just, yes. that's, that's where we are now. Everybody, uh, and, and what's very weird to me in life is that I see young kids and the, the rising, you know, high schoolers and rising college kids that are worried about the greater good so much more. And at the same time, I see this social media voice of, you can't tell me what to do, I do what I want, and mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm a grown adult. And I'm not sure how to get those two sides that see things so differently merged back into one because it doesn't feel like there's a large group of people coming out using social media platforms, famous or not, to say, hey, let's come together and how can we handle this better? And that just Well, they're trying. It just doesn't get shared as much. It's not as salacious and interesting Fair. to people. Yeah. You know? well, and, and that's that's in and of itself also a problem. I mean, how often do we talk about that in sports? It's, it's right. become much easier to cover the bad than, than the good because – uh, people pay more attention to it. I don't know the solution to that, though. Yeah, I don't either. And, and if you want to read the story, by the way, Howard Bryant, Novak Djokovic is a profile in selfishness and sports leaders are failing us all. 
I get it because over the course of the last couple of years, I've been so happy to have sports to run back to, to talk about and to cover. So it's not to say that it's an ultimate failing to have sports and the arts and other things that bring us joy be occasionally offered a little leeway because we need those for our collective well-being and mental health and happiness. The question is, at what point did we stop holding those entities to a responsibility that at one point we did? Early on the pandemic, we expected the NBA to be a leader and to show us by example how mm-hmm. How to handle sure. things it's over true. the course of time it was sort of like well if the nets want to do that with Kyrie, it's up to them the same goes for look at look at tennis and the 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 acting in concert that all three slams did after naomi osaka refused to do post-match media for the french open and caused her to withdraw all the other slams said okay well then you won't be able to play here unless you do it but they're not doing that for novak djokovic they're not coming together and saying his negative behavior um in this way should be punished because it's about the money it's about all of that stuff and so I just think we've lost touch with a little bit of holding people responsible. As I mentioned, Novak Djokovic has gone to multiple events while knowingly infected, and it's barely a blip on the list. Imagine how that would have gone over even just a year ago. It's it's makes things difficult. I would recommend you read the Howard Bryant story. Um, it's it's just a really fantastic look and a reminder of where we've gotten to here. Coming up, my around the horn fellow panelist Woody Page is going to come talk to us about the Broncos ownership. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. As we've been saying all night, while there's plenty to talk about in terms of games this weekend, there's also a lot of storylines around teams that don't find themselves in the postseason. Perhaps the most dramatic being the Broncos. A lot of teams looking for a GM or a coach, but this team's looking for a new owner. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, extra half hour of us tonight till 9.30 Eastern, Blazers at Nuggets. You'll get that right here on ESPN Radio after us. But joining us now, around the horn panelists, Denver Gazette columnist, longtime Denver reporter, Woody Page. Woody, thanks for hopping on. I'm thrilled to be with you guys. Thanks for having me on, Sarah. So let's talk about the sale of the Broncos. This has obviously been a couple years in the running, but there was a final barrier to the sale process cleared yesterday, I believe it was, maybe two days ago in the district court when a judge ruled uh, that there was not a valid right of refusal claim to buy the franchise, and now there will be a transition of ownership after the hiring of a new head coach. So first of all, let's talk about that order. Does it feel right to address some of the football things before the ownership stuff? Well, it's a difficult situation because uh, if you wait until you have a new ownership, that's going to be too late to actually get into the interview process. I mean, let's say that the league, it's my belief that the league will uh, determine the new ownership uh, probably at the uh, uh, spring meetings, which would be in March or April if it moves that quickly. And so then I don't know, you're in in a situation to hire a coach in April or May. I don't think that's going to happen. So the top candidates would all be gone. Right. You'd have to try out somebody that uh, maybe doesn't fit in that uh, upper tier. So it's an unusual situation, but it's one that uh, the the Broncos find themselves with. But, George uh, Payton, who came over from the Vikings uh, this year, this past year, to be the general manager, really is going to be running the operation until there's a new ownership. So, Woody, talk a little bit about the process uh, when it comes to finding owners, because 
so often we see bad teams are bad because owners are bad at hiring. I understand it's about who's the richest, but what consideration to any sort of football acumen is given to deciding on who will be the next ownership group? Uh, well, again, George, the general manager, has a six-year contract, and he did, a, I thought, an outstanding job in his first year. So and we've all agreed this is an unusual situation. But it's also one that's going to take some time, I think, because this will be the most expensive franchise purchase in the history of professional sports in this country. It will be around $4 million, either just below. Uh, the, the team has been – the franchise has been valued at $3.75 million. Billion, billion, billion. Billion. What did I say? Million? Yeah, billion. <laughs> I, it's twenty twenty one now, Woody. Yeah. <laughs> I would put a group together with the two of you. Yeah, right. It. We could handle it if it was a couple million. <laughs> the last uh, franchise sale was three point two five billion. So this is gonna go well beyond uh, what the Carolina Panthers sold for in kind of a auction fire sale. And so I think that's going to eliminate a lot of people who would be interested in buying a franchise. But as I've reported and you guys are aware of, there are six groups based on my NFL sources that are interested in an auction. And the seventh would be the family of the Bolins, of Pat Bolin, the late Pope Pat Bolin. And so when you get into that sort of bidding process, that could take quite a while. And first of all, you must have the Pat Boland trustees for people who really don't understand the situation in Colorado, that he set up a trustee if in case he died and he did. Uh, And they must, uh, first of all, consider the bidding process and how to go about it. They've already decided, but they haven't told us. And (laughs) when the auction will be held, and once they approve an owner, then they would have to take it to the NFL, which would have to have uh, uh, three-quarters of its owners approve uh, right. whoever you owner. And, and it's quite possible that the NFL owners say, that's not the right guy. And it's not necessarily who puts up the most money, because uh, I've been told and reported that John Elway is in one group, Peyton Manning is in another group, so they could be bidding against each other. And it might be that the NFL says, oh, we'd like to have uh, Peyton Manning as the owner, or we'd like to have John Elway over, let's say, Jeff Bezos. Bezos. Right, Bezos, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, but uh, the NFL would really like to get the richest man in the world involved in the NFL, and he has been to – Super Bowls in 2019, 2020. He's been involved uh, as a minor owner in the Washington football team, and he's a guy they'd like to have uh, involved in the process. So there are a lot of different types of groups. I was recently approached not to be in a group, but by a Colorado-based outfit that wants to bid. And I've been told, as I said, by the NFL that the that the NFL does have a list of people who say they'd like to own a franchise and the NFL doesn't matter where it is. So uh, there was a possibility the Washington football team might have to, might have to sell at some point. 
that hasn't happened so far. I don't see anybody else on the horizon other than the Denver Broncos at the moment. Yeah, this makes it a really, really appealing opening because it doesn't happen very often that it isn't just passed down by family or, or kept in, in, in a group. So that makes this a real opportunity. And some of the folks that you mentioned, of course, want in on it. Woody Page, Denver Gazette columnist, also an Around the Horn panelist with us here on Spain and Fitz. You mentioned, and the ones that people I think are focusing most on, maybe Jeff Bezos, although he told Peter King uh, back in October he wasn't interested, might have been uh, a red herring, but he might have been honest there. The most interesting people are the Elway and Mannings. It, it felt like, obviously, Peyton had a good experience there. Um, is there any reason you could tell that they are not in one group together bidding for it? Um, I think, A, that uh, the Manning family, and that that uh, rumor has gone around lately, that it might involve Eli, Archie Manning, that the entire family might get involved in that. Peyton continues to live, uh, he lives about uh, a mile and a half from me, that he uh, wants to get back into the NFL, and he's picking his spot. And I think one of the reasons why he hasn't taken a network broadcasting job other than the one he does with his brother on Monday Night Football, that he really wants to be involved. After his speech at the at the Hall of Fame this summer, a lot of people thought he should be a candidate for commissioner of the NFL. But I don't think that Manning and Elway would work Manning would be involved in the operation. John Elway is ending his five-year contract as the president of football operations. And I think at this point, he would just want to be involved as a minority owner. Neither one of them have the, enough money uh, to actually own the franchise, so they would be minority partners. Woody, does any of this impact whether coaches will have the same level of interest in this uh, open opportunity? Well, I, that question was asked of the general manager and the uh, CEO, who is lame duck. He's going to leave as soon as the new ownership. Joel is going to leave. Uh, he's got a five-year contract. He, he's leaving, and Elway will probably join him uh, because his contract's over. Uh, that we, that question was brought up, uh, how would that affect it? But I think because of the situation that, there are only 32 jobs. There are, what, going to be about seven open at this point? That if you really want to be a coach again, if you are Dan Quinn or one of the defensive coordinators or offensive coordinators that they talk to, they take the job believing that the Broncos, who have an incredible amount of salary cap, $50 million plus, that it's a good situation with the young players they have. If you can bring in a quarterback, if you were able to get a Russell Wilson or an Aaron Rodgers, or a young quarterback that is the top two or three to come out this year, even though it's a lousy, a lousy uh, quarterback class. That it's a job that is uh, in Colorado, as both of you know, is a, is a place you'd want to be. And right. the Broncos franchise has been very successful through, throughout its history. So I, I don't think that would be the end all. But if you got a six-year deal or a five-year deal and the owner says, I don't want you, you could be like the Houston coach who just got fired and go right. collect uh, $30 million or so. A nice severance pay. Right. It's certainly a good job and certainly a, a great opportunity to have an asset if you got the kind of coin with your friends to put together $4 billion. Hey, Woody, thanks for the insight. Appreciate it. Thanks, Woody. Thanks, guys. 
Thanks for having Woody me Page, Denver Gazette columnist. You can read his work, including uh, the sources he talked about, telling him there are six different groups currently vying for that Broncos ownership at the Denver Gazette. Also watch him on Around the Horn. Tune into the ESPN Daily Podcast, bringing you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters, presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily, available wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Coming up, we got to wrap up a whole bunch of stuff with quickies. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Bucks are absolutely destroying the Warriors right now. They're up 77-38 at the half. 39-point halftime deficit, the largest the Warriors have had in a game since the franchise moved to California in 1962-63. 40 points from Giannis and Portis alone. That's more than the Warriors' whole team. Uh, I, I don't feel good about that Warriors team coming off that loss heading against the Bulls tomorrow. They're going to come shot out of a cannon trying to <laughs> yeah. redeem themselves for tonight. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget, the NBA is on ESPN Radio. Tune in tonight as the Nuggets host the Blazers, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 9.30 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations, which happens to be when this show ends tonight. That's right. Bonus time, overtime, half hour, extra. Are we getting paid overtime, Fitz? We yeah. Getting... yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that that cool. is all going to you. Actually, you get all the oh, overtime great. pay. And uh, that's just, that yeah, feels they, right. they said it was the extra bonus for having to sit with me every night. Yeah, you're just carrying you for another yeah. half hour. I deserve it, that's for sure. Uh, lots going on <laughs> in the sports saying? I'm world. fat? I've been working uh, on it. Come no, on. I just mean just the extra work I do carrying the show. Uh, oh, to make okay, it good. yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's less fair. about you physically, more about your yeah. mental deficiencies. Uh, but we could talk about both whenever you've got some time. Uh, <laughs> let's get into some stuff that we need to, that we have to do quickly, because there's just not enough time despite the overtime. It's Quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. That's correct. Uh, we've been bemoaning it all week long that uh, the just having Monday night off after the weekend that was has made us feel like we're in catch-up mode. And that includes not having truly addressed this groundbreaking hire in baseball from one of our previous guests on the show, friend of the show, Rachel Balkovic, who uh, has come on to talk about breaking down glass ceilings in baseball, has now been named manager of the Tampa Tarpons, the low class A affiliate of the Yankees. She is the first woman to manage a baseball team uh, in the minor leagues. And the news when it came out fits just uh, almost universally was folks that she worked with when she was a hitting coach with the Yankees minor leagues the past two years. Gene Afterman, the, the longtime GM who she had sought guidance from, uh, you know, Billy Jean King tweeting about it, former players that she had worked with, universally people saying she's put in the work. She's deserved this opportunity. And other than the sort of unfortunate name of the team that's sure to find some jokes on social media, this is great news, Fitz. Yeah, it's great news. And, you know, I've, I've been lucky enough to know a couple of people that actually have been around that team over the course of the years. And the belief is that they do things the right way, that they do actually help you continue to rise to where you need to be in the bigs. So uh, there, there is a uh, for talking me, Yankees or mind, uh, the Tampa Tarpons, uh, the Tampa Tarpons. Uh, yeah. The, yeah, I mean, the, the Tampa Tarpons have been a good feeding system when it comes to strength and conditioning and coaching at, at a higher level than some of the other low A teams uh, in that area. Ben, I've heard positive things. So for her to get an opportunity from a place that. Is still being that is taken very seriously amongst the low way things. Uh, also, to me, speaks to sort of the opportunity that she's worked her tail off for. So good for her. I mean, the more these walls of breakdown and success that you have, the more you say, hey, eventually this won't even be a conversation because we'll be used to it. 
Yeah, you talk about Tampa, but also the Yankees in general. Brian Cashman has hired Kim Eng, has hired Gene Afterman as assistant GMs, right? He is clearly someone who is be able to look beyond the traditional hires. And when she came on our show, and she's talked about this in a couple of interviews, she was struggling to get a job as a strength and conditioning coach after being a college softball player. Um, she had eight colleges contacting her about jobs in women's sports, but when she wanted to work in baseball, it was a struggle. So she changed her name to Ray... R-A-E on her resume uh, and suddenly started to hear from all sorts of people who didn't realize she was a woman until they called. And so uh, just getting her foot in the door really required a little bit of trickery there. And then she's worked her way up and it's just spectacular. Um, I, I can absolutely see a female manager in a MLB team in, in, in the closer future than maybe even some of the other sports based on the recent push for, for women across the board, across you know a number of different teams that we've seen. Which brings us to our next story. Quickies. Which is in the NFL, which is another place where we have tracked a ton of progress. Fits just in the time that I've been a radio host here at ESPN nationally, night in and night out, we have watched the conversation go from, wow, this is incredible, Jen Welter is a coaching intern with the Cardinals, to now this massive push, uh, mostly because of the incredible work of the Women in Football Forum um, and and friend of the show, Sam Rappaport, uh, where across so many different teams, we see women in, in power positions and coaching and otherwise. And one of those is, uh, is um, something that we've never seen before, which is the current request to hire Eagles' Catherine Raish as a potential GM candidate for the Vikings. She is believed to be the highest ranking female personnel staffer in in the NFL. Um, she's she's an Eagles executive. Um, and now the Vikings are looking to potentially hire her as a GM coming out of her role as VP of football ops. Um, this is like, this would be huge. I think even bigger maybe than Kim Eng. Yeah, 100%. By the way, she had experience in the CFL. And what was amazing to me, to see that she was the director of football admin for the Toronto Argonauts and then the assistant GM for the Montreal Alouettes. And that's a path that, that you know, yeah. so many people take to get their opportunity. But then you, you find out she's 33. And when you think about <laughs> what she's been able to accomplish already at the age of 33, which would not only make her, if she were to get this job, she'd obviously be the first female GM, but she'd be the youngest active NFL GM if hired. So you think about what this is. This is somebody that is just absolutely rising up the ranks in amazing in, in amazing pace because they've earned the respect, and that's the the ultimate thing you see from this. Like the the opportunity to get this interview is such a huge statement of we just want to make our team better. I love every second of it. Yeah, and the Eagles front office is doing something right because you mentioned she would be the youngest. Uh, it would be just behind the Browns' Andrew Barry, who is another product of the Eagles front office. So uh, they're doing something right over there in terms of people being impressed from the outside. Worth noting, there was a woman who was the acting GM of, of a team from 82 to 85, and that is Susan Toast Spencer, who is the daughter of formal former Eagles owner. Uh, she was the acting GM for a couple of years. Of course, you'd love to see it when it's not anything related to um, uh, relationships, married or birthed or otherwise. Um, so very cool story there with Catherine Raish. We'll keep an eye on that. All right, final story. Quickies. 
back to baseball for this one. Major League Baseball, according to sources, made its first labor proposal since the lockout on December 2nd. Uh, just focused on a couple little issues, uh, you know, trying to heighten the likelihood of spring training um, being, you know, taking place of the players coming back. But according to people who have seen it, and according to Jeff Passan and Jesse Rogers, who wrote about it, uh, because it's just a narrow set of issues, it doesn't feel like something that's going to move the needle much and inspire a lot of hope for the players to come over to their side. Yeah, I think all this is is a sign that at least they're having conversation. They're sort of damned if they do and if they don't, right? Because if they say nothing to each other and we're not communicating at all, then we'll be looking at it saying, what are you guys waiting for? But the, the flip side of it is these proposals are going to have so little meaning because they are seen just for what they are. Just, I mean, absolute starting points and whatever happens will be a long process for everybody involved. So I just think we need to have a little bit of patience and understanding that there is a process here that no matter how much everybody wants instant solution isn't going to come. You got to start somewhere, even if it's a small step. You just also have to make sure that just putting something out there isn't done so that the media and the press will say, well, maybe Major League Baseball is trying and the players aren't doing their part, right? Oh, yeah. So something to keep an eye on as these negotiations go on. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average. Call or click today. Coming up, Bamani Jones is going to come on to talk about David Culley's firing and black head coaches in the NFL. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You know, I'd like to start this extra bonus bonus half hour of Spain and Fitz with an apology. And that apology goes out to the entire Yankees organization and particularly the Tampa Tarpons, which is how you pronounce that. Oh. At MP45444, hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Some important news from Spain and Fitz Nation. Uh, people will still make jokes about it because of how it's spelled, but it is not, in fact, the Tampa Tarpons. It's the Tampa Tarpons. Makes uh, me a very bad friend to have friends that have been around that and didn't know that. Not Oops. corrected you. Yeah, yeah, because you doubled down on it. But Mountain oh, yeah. Rule 1896, uh, tarpon is usually pronounced tarpin. That may help. It does indeed. Thank you very much. Moving on, let's get to our next guest, Bamani Jones, host of The Right Time with Bamani Jones podcast. Uh, Bamani, joining us now, brought to you by Goodyear. And, and I want to I want to talk to you, Bo. Uh, 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 oh, quickly, Goodyear with you for every mile on the road to greatness. Goodyear, more driven. Uh, I want to talk to you about the firing of David Culley. Uh, first of all, it comes a couple days after most of the other coaches got their pink slip. Also kind of felt like he was in a losing situation from the beginning. They end up with the same amount of wins as a year before when Deshaun Watson was starting for them in a season where he doesn't play a single snap. And Culley not left with a lot to work with. So what do you make of this decision? I mean, if I'm David Culley, this might be some of the best news I have ever received. <laughs> um, I mean, he never, the plan was never for him to keep this job. He was never going to be in a position to retain it. He was there working on a two-year contract, which is almost unheard of for a head coach. But the Texans were in a situation where nobody wanted to take their job, and so they hired a dude that, as far as I know, nobody else was actually thinking about hiring as a head coach. So he gets a little bump up in his pension. I think it's a win for him. And with the Texans, they're so just messed up. It's hard to ascribe any meaning to anything that they actually do. But the league has a macro issue at this point because it, it just seems impossible that there's only one blackhead coach mm -hmm. in the league. I want to just ask you real quick because I get what you're saying. And, yes, you know, David Culley potentially got a head coaching job and wouldn't have otherwise from another team. And yes, he gets paid a significant amount. You're right. The contract that he signed might've been a hint to him that this was a sort of bridge position while they were in the middle of a, a giant mess and that he might not retain it for long. But is it, 
is it as simple as just saying that there's no negative to him losing his job after one season where they performed significantly better than many thought and actually beat a handful of good teams? Well, I think the biggest thing that Cully could say for himself was the way that season went and this is a big thing when you're coaching a team that's not only is bad but everybody knows it's going to be bad walking in and this is the biggest compliment that you can give Dan Campbell from this season is that your team kept playing hard and Cully's team kept playing hard right like that is absolutely a positive for him he also had some problems with players and they were winding up having to suspend dudes like Justin Reed caught one like I'm not sure what the climate was there I also am operating on I wouldn't call it a presumption but a little bit of a guess that uh, Casario, the general manager there, is going to make the classic mistake being an old New England guy of trying to get the band back together in Houston, which he's tried to do before, and Brian Flores is now available, and maybe that's an explanation as to why there was a gap between when Cully was fired and when the other Black Monday guillotines came down. <laughs> so, Bo, there's, there's eight league uh, openings right now, presuming that the Raiders don't retain their interim coach. So if there's eight openings... I don't think most of us would presume that Cully is going to be at or near the top of the list. Is that a statement to how he was perceived, or is that a statement to a bigger problem? Um, I don't think that Cully is a great example to use. Um, now, you can make an argument about Cully that he's an Andy Reid guy, and it worked for Reed, with Reid forever, and just about everybody that worked with Andy Reid for a long time got a chance. Like that's, I think, the best that you could say, but I don't think he is the individual case is really the one to point to. And what makes it tricky when you talk about this is that we have we talk about these things when individual things happen. So we kind of want to ascribe meaning to one thing or another thing. But for the league, there are going to be eight openings. How many of them do we believe are going to go to someone who isn't a white man? Like, is this the year that Eric Bieniemy gets the job, for example? I don't really know. I also don't have an explanation for why it is that he doesn't have a job. It just seems that people in his position typically would have one by now. But the league's just got a much bigger issue, and I don't think – I think that the commissioner of the NFL cares a lot about these diversity matters, and I don't think he has the clout to make his owners care. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to Bomani Jones. You can hear him on the right time with Bomani Jones. Subscribe, follow, hit that button, whatever you got to do. The Texans do owe David Cully another $17 million over the next three years per source. So that's $22 million for one season. So if this was their intent all along, are they even more dysfunctional than we thought? Yeah, I mean, nobody wanted that job. And they still got that weird Deshaun Watson situation that none of us have any explanation for how exactly it's going to be resolved. Like, why would you take this? So let's think about this. If you're an old New England guy and you're looking for a head coach, Josh McDaniels is probably the guy that you want to call. I don't think that's a good idea, but that's the guy that that person would want to call. Josh McDaniels wouldn't touch that job with a 10-foot pole. Like, who will look at that job and say, yeah, I can do that? Like, what, what is there to give you any cause for optimism for taking the job that the Texans have failed? Right. Is there some element where – you go to Deshaun Watson and you try and at least like, I, I I'm just trying to figure out if Watson should be more involved or less involved at this point when they try and figure out who their next coach is. Oh, I mean, he, he's never going to play for them again. Like I feel very confident saying that he's played his last down of football for them. And I just have no idea where it is that he's going to go because I would not want to be the general manager and come sit down and explain why it is that I was willing to give up a couple of first round picks for the guy with all the trouble that he's got. And somebody's going to ultimately have to do that if they decide to bring him in. 
it would not be me, and I'm not sure exactly who it is that it's willing to be. Like, people that brought up Miami at the press conference, uh, Steve Ross said they wouldn't bring in Deshaun Watson, which makes you wonder, was that Brian Flores thing that he wanted Deshaun right. Watson? I, That's I, what we I heard. just don't yeah. know. Yeah, like, yeah. I just don't know who is willing to put their name on that right now because you can't win until he starts winning games or the team starts winning games. Like, if you get Watson, I don't care if he plays well. You get him and they don't play well, you're done. Right. Well, you have to risk public opinion and also potential actual criminal uh, charges and and him not being available as a result of that because of the number of charges, um, accusations against him. We're talking about Monty Jones. He's with us here on Spain and Fitz. Uh, David Culley, the head coach for the Texans, has been fired. Um, it's sort of a trend here. We saw Vance Joseph in Denver had no quarterbacks. He lasted two years. Uh, Steve Wilkes got one year in Arizona with Josh Rosen as his quarterback. D- uh, Jim Caldwell was actually nine and seven in Detroit, in Detroit of all places, and got fired. Um, we see this a lot. And Bo, I-, I wanted to go back to the point you were talking about before, where what we end up doing is in each individual circumstance, we talk about either the guy that was just fired and how it doesn't seem right. Brian Flores is a great example. Or we use the shining example that keeps coming back around, um, which in the case of, you know, most of these conversations is Eric Bieniemy. Now, sources that I have tell me that Eric Bieniemy is not a well-liked dude and not a good leader and that he is not being hired for good reason. Unfortunately, he's the one that always comes up and then he becomes the placeholder for the thing, which also isn't the way to handle it, right? To presume that there is just one perfect minority candidate. And if he's not hired, that's the the root of all the problem. Instead of the fact that there should be many more out there that we're talking about and aware of. Yes. Yeah. Well, the other part of it is why it's always got to be somebody that we heard of. Right. Right. So we haven't heard of half the dudes who got hired recently. Yeah, yeah, like the Sirianni dude, I'd never heard of him when he got that job. Brandon Staley had been a defensive coordinator for one year. And one thing I think we all have to acknowledge when it comes to hiring, like it really, really holds with basketball, not nearly as much with football, but like ain't no telling who's going to be a good basketball coach. They pull broadcasters out to be basketball coaches. They get dudes, like they ain't get a dude out the fourth row, and who knows, he might turn into Pat Riley. Like there's no telling who's going to turn out to be the guy to make it work as a basketball coach. It was football. They still don't seem to be very good at identifying who's going to actually going to be capable of doing these jobs. They're just willing to take chances on different people. And so if it's not Eric Bieniemy, who is it? It's not my job to know who it is. It just right. is literally mm-hmm. impossible that there ain't more black people around football, given how many black people are around football, who are capable of leading a football team. It just it – just, the only way that you believe it's possible that these numbers hold is if you believe there's something that makes black people incapable of doing the job. And I mm-hmm. personally have not been able to find the thing that would make that true. All right. So Bomani, like, you know, my fandom, right? So if I'm, if I'm Mark Davis and I own the Las Vegas Raiders right now, and I know that I'm going to have a head coaching opening and I want to make sure that I'm finding the best possible candidate out there in the world. I hear you that we don't know who they are, but like, what is even the path? Like, it, it, at some point, it just feels like part of what's broken here is that there isn't any way to help streamline and identify good candidates for co- for owners that are sitting back there that want to win but have no idea what the hell they're doing when they're looking at a laundry list of people to hire and don't know who's good or bad. Yeah, but they still be I – mean, they, they keep finding these bad white ones. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, like the, 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 the thing that's – and that's the thing that's tricky about this question is that 
it's like we want to come up with solutions that I feel like are kind of like ultimately patronizing the white people. It's like, well, how are we going to help these white people find qualified black people? <laughs> like, stop being racist. You know what I mean? Like, it's like you don't, you don't. We don't feel like we need to give them no Rosetta Stone to figure it out to try to find who the white people are. Like, one one problem I have with the structure of the way uh, quote unquote minority hiring goes in the NFL now, and I'm not totally familiar with everything around this, but the idea that they go to the Fritz Pollard Alliance for a list, to me, gives one organization far too much power mm-hmm. over the situation, right? So John Wooten's got to like you. And I don't know how many of these guys out here aren't getting looks because John Wooten doesn't like them. I don't know him. I'm not saying that he's a vengeful man, but I'm saying that that's the kind of thing that can happen when you concentrate so much power into one place. And so the question that has to be asked is, what is so hard about this for you guys? Why are you just not capable of finding who this person is. Notre Dame has found two black dudes they were willing to hire in 20 years, and mm. these teams in the NFL can't do it? Yeah. Well, and that's what, in the end, feels so frustrating, Bo, is you can have rules, you can have policies, you can have pipelines, but in the end, if the thing that's sticking for people is that they, deep down, consciously or not, are racist and believe that black men, or women for that matter, can't hold the job, then that's going to always get in the way, regardless of those policies in place. Hey, we got to let you go. Thanks so much for coming on, as always. Appreciate it. All right, no problem. You got to take it easy. Bamani, always so good on that stuff. Could talk to him a lot longer, but we got to run and we got to finish the show by paying off some of the polls we asked you about. It's coming up next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. So y'all heard uh, Jordan Cornette and Jason Fitz beef about the uh, Raiders-Bengals game earlier in the show. And you might not have understood what Jordan was alluding to when he said definitively that he would be there regardless of the weather and that he had had a ticket and he was going to go support and Jason Fitz was afraid. I'll get you up to date on that. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, taking you into Blazers Nuggets in about 15 minutes right here on ESPN Radio. Well, yesterday we were talking about all the many excuses that Fitz has used to explain why he won't be there in person to see his beloved Raiders play the Bengals. Uh, it was, it'll be cold. I don't trust myself around Bengals fans after 25 shots. I'll be wearing head-to-toe Raiders gear. My language is inappropriate, so I couldn't go hang in the suite with Jordan. It was just a litany of excuses. And we asked you on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed uh, whether he's lame or just being cold sucks if you give him an out for not making it. And Fitz, I'm happy to report that after a full day of results, 59% of people think you're lame. That's closer than I thought it was going to be. Me too, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Not a bad result for you, considering all things. Um, Are you for sure there's no part of you that's itching to make that happen? Uh, no, you know, I, I have, I, I can honestly say this. I'll just be totally blunt with everybody. I've gone back and forth on this decision so many times and I have looked at every possibility of getting out there. I, uh, I looked at tickets earlier today and, uh, they are, they are as astronomical as I would say we should expect that they are right. because <laughs> when you haven't had a home game in forever, uh, you know, you've got from both fan bases, I mean, the cheapest even nosebleed that I could find earlier was over $200, to give you an idea. And if I'm going, I'm not going to see the nosebleed. Like the, the 400 so, level where you can't see the field. Quality of life expectation here at some <laughs> point, right? I mean, like, I, you know who I think I am. So if I want to get down into the – if I wanted to get into the lower level at all, you're talking five, 600 bucks for a ticket. And, you know, I, I, I looked at it and I kept thinking, my God, it's not worth it. Just wait. Let's see what happens next round. If the, if the, Raiders, if the Raiders lose, 
then I'm glad I wasn't there. If the Raiders win, all of the next round games are easier for me to get to. So I, I, that was part of my logic, but I've gone back and forth on this a million times. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the issues is that you are thinking about it while sober. We know for a mm. fact that you are willing to spend double that amount on drinks at a bar in a hotel in Indianapolis <laughs> if you're just drunk but enough. If I hadn't spent that, maybe I'd maybe you'd have money to go to the game. You were too busy <laughs> celebrating their birth of the postseason with a thousand dollar bar tab to spend five hundred dollars on seeing them. Uh, which brings me to another member of the Spain and Fitz Nation who hit us up on the Dr Pepper Twitter feed at the Geeking Shack in response to your myriad excuses, which included uh, being cold after twenty five shots. Said, "Wait, what kind of person is still cold after twenty five shots?" That is Which a is a point. great point. That yeah. is a fair point. But I will tell you this. I, All your I excuses and, falling apart. You know, I, yeah. I, I, much different example. But when I, I got LASIK, LASIK years ago, I went in and, you know, I don't know how familiar you are with the procedure, but it, it's it's a little gross. Like, and you have to take these, you know, pills, like sort of like Valium to relax you. So I went in and I took the dosage and they came back a half an hour later and the girl was like, you know, it doesn't seem to be working. We'll give you another dose. So they gave me another oh dose and they came back an hour later and she's like, I don't. I don't understand what's going on here. We'll give you another dose. Oh, no. And we finally got to the spot where she had, they had given me four of their regular doses. And she said, why is this not working? And I was like, ma'am, you can't spend 20 years on the road in music and have these tiny doses do anything. I'm dead on the inside. And funny thing is, is during the middle of my LASIK procedure, my eye still tensed up. And I actually, like, squeezed the suction cup off, had a huge bruise. It was it was quite Oh, traumatic. my gosh. So, yeah. Like, so, you know, my, my insides you are dead, killed Sarah. your That's body. The, but, yeah. That is exactly. Uh, exactly how uh i guess it explains when we first started working together you would have like six venti coffees a day or like 14 red bulls like you had oh, some yeah. weird habits when we got started yeah yeah no the, the, there's the number of times i've said this but 200 ounces a diet i had to track it for a nutritionist at one point 200 ounces a diet soda six sugar-free red bull and a couple of pots of coffee a day was my gross. normal so we, gross i'm yeah. so glad that just getting further away from the road and spending more time with me has led you to make some better choices in life yeah, by the way just want to let you know water. saturday saturday temperatures connecticut which is where you live 18 degrees okay cincinnati mm -hmm. which is where you don't want to go because it's cold 31. Mm, okay, a kickoff last I saw going to be around 19 in Cincinnati, but okay, in well, my Connecticut, house, wind chills around zero. In in my house, it'll be a a, a balmy 69 oh, degrees because like every responsible nice. adult, that's the exact temperature. I'm a 71 person over yeah. here. I'm sorry, 69. I don't like to I don't yeah. like to have to wear multiple layers of slippers. Uh, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, <laughs> taking you into Did Blazers you Nuggets on the slippers. That how uh, sometimes you got to put the fuzzy like the extra fuzzy socks you get every Christmas because you could only wash them a couple times and then they aren't quite as fuzzy. And then you put that under the slipper. I can't do more than that. That's already too much, uh, in my yeah. opinion. Um, I wanted to quickly talk to you about something that we uh, had failed to address earlier, and that's really our bad. The Nickelodeon game of the wild card, which last year was a rousing success and was the only thing that prevented me from giving up on life entirely as the Bears were getting worked by the Saints in a pathetic and ugly game. Also, congrats to Mitch Trubisky on being the first and thus far only NVP. That's right, Nickelodeon valuable player uh, after that game, despite them losing. Uh, we got Cowboys... In this game against the Niners, and somebody asked Mike McCarthy if he'd be willing to get slimed if the Cowboys win, and he said, will I be willing to get slimed? Signed? Oh, slimed? Oh, okay, well, I obviously haven't put on Nickelodeon lately. I don't even know what slime is. Anything for the children. 
Look, anything for a playoff win is the real answer. Right. right? Forget the kids here. Look, you can dump whatever you want on me if it means the Raiders win the playoff game. I mean, we need to get Bill Belichick and the Pats in this game. I oh, want to see Bill Belichick get slimed. Is that too I much mean, to ask of the world? Do you uh, think he'd do it? I don't think he'd do it. I don't think he would, but maybe if his players did it without him you know, knowing. I mean, it would be very risky, but I'd like to see it. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.